channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Veris Age Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And Ed, today we're so excited. We have a great guest on the show with us, Lee Cockerell. He's the former Executive Vice President of Operations for the Walt Disney World Resort, and he led a team of 40,000 cast members and was, was responsible for the operation of 20 resort hotels, four theme parks, two water parks, and a shopping and entertainment village uh, in the ESPN Sports and Recreation Complex, uh, which, of course, is located in the number one uh, vacation destination in the world. Uh, prior to Disney, he worked for Hilton and Marriott for 17 years at Marriott, and be interested to talk to him about that. And Lee Cockerell, welcome to the Soul of Enterprise. Hi there. It's good to be with you. Good, good to have you here. So, what a what a uh, fascinating uh, history you have, work history. Why don't you? Why don't we start there, and you can you can go back to day one and uh, <laughs> tell us how you got from Oklahoma to where you are now. It was a miracle. Actually, <laughs> I uh, I, li- I was born in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. We lived on a little dairy farm for many years, and uh, I tell people I the chances of me being successful were zero. Uh, my mother was my, my mother was married five times. I've been adopted twice, and I got my third name Cockrell when I was sixteen. I dropped out of college, so there you go, and ended up running Disney World operations for uh, almost thirteen years. So I always tell people, don't underestimate what you can do. When I uh, got, dropped out of college finally because I was not a good student, and my mother decided not to pay for those grades, I went into the army became a cook. When I got out of the Army, I met a guy in the Army. We went to Washington Hilton up in Washington, D.C. That, that, that's the hotel where Ronald Reagan was actually shot. And I worked there for three years. I started as a banquet waiter serving tables and um, finally got in a management training program and ended up staying with Hilton eight years, working in uh, Washington, Chicago, the Waldorf Astoria in New York, Los Angeles, all over. And then uh, I got aggravated with my boss back in those days and quit and joined a little company in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which my wife said not to do. And I told her I know what I'm doing, and I got fired 90 days later. So she (laughs) turned out to be right. And uh, so then I got with Marriott. So that getting fired really worked out. I stayed with Marriott 17 years. I became vice president of food and beverage for them. I had a great career with Marriott. They're such a great company. And then I got recruited by Disney in 1990 to open the Disneyland Paris project. And we went to Paris for three years and 
did that, and I was asked to come back to Orlando in charge of the hotels, which I did for a couple years, and then I got promoted to be in charge of all the operations uh, in 1997 and stayed in that job for 10 years. And then I retired, and that's now, I'm, now I have the perfect job. I do my own thing. I have no boss. <laughs> you, looking at your website, Lee, and, and your travel, I don't think you're retired. <laughs> well, you know... This, this is my golf game. People applaud when I speak. They didn't applaud when I played golf. <laughs> you, you know, we do a segment on this program every now and then called Entrepreneur Heaven, and, and one of the entrepreneurs we've profiled is, is Jay Willard Marriott, and I've always just so admired him. Did you ever get a chance to meet him? I, I met him very well. I opened, uh, of course, he was still involved in the company when I started in 1973. Marriott only had 32 hotels then. Mm. So we saw Junior a lot, and his dad would come up too. And actually, I had breakfast with him the morning of the opening of the Chicago Marriott in 1978. And um, that was the most stressful breakfast I've ever had. I can imagine. Day one, uh, one of the waiters spilled a creamer pitcher on Bill Marriott's new suede jacket. And uh, Mrs. Marriott told me if I didn't improve the food, she was going to take her name off the hotel. So I was starting out a bad day, and uh, but they were always great. I got through it. Uh, they are so candid, so direct, and so honest that you can't. If she, Mrs. Marriott called me once and told me I was using the wrong beans in the chili. So, you know, billionaires involved in the details. Uh, they were incredible. I learned a lot from Bill Marriott. He's a wonderful man, and he's adored at Marriott. So it, it was one of the best experiences I had, actually. I learned how to treat people working at Marriott, which I didn't always learn in some other jobs. Right. He ha- he has a great, or always had a great customer service ethic, I think. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. And then you joined Disney in 1990, and they recruited you to open up uh, Euro Disney, as it was then called. I guess now it's Disneyland Paris. H- how did how did you find that experience? That must have been very interesting. Well, I'd been trying to get out of food and beverage. I'd been in food and beverage 25 years now. I was the general manager of a Marriott, and I was loving it. And then they called me because they needed a food and beverage person. So there I was, back in the food and beverage business. So basically, I went over there to open all the restaurants, and I had to recruit 250 chefs and managers and assistant managers. And it was total chaos. Uh, We had to do everything in five languages. I didn't speak French, uh, so you can imagine how that was going. And... uh, Everybody, all business was conducted in English, so I never got a chance to really learn to speak French. But I got a French daughter-in-law out of it because my son got out of Boston University in 91 and came over there and got a job and fell in love. So uh, something good happened. Now I got three French grandkids who live in (laughs) in Orlando, and they like me better than their parents, so I'm in pretty good shape. (laughs) Well, you know what they say, why the grandkids and the grandparents get along so well is they have a common enemy. Well, I buy them iPhones, so they always call me. <laughs> <laughs> and and Lee, I, I know I remember reading when the Euro Disney opened, it had all sorts of issues and I know there were cultural issues and, and it was losing like a million dollars a day, is that right? Yeah, I hate to say that word again because that's about what Disney World was making and we were losing it for them. It was really <laughs> tough. Opened in a recession. Uh, the guests never really came at the numbers we thought they would. There was a lot of publicity about it's going to be too busy. Don't go there. You know, man, it was just one thing after another. And then we were 2,000 people overstaffed and everybody in France is on contract. You can't get them off. It takes three or four months. So, so we just lost a ton of money. 
and the pressure was on. I, ne- I thought I'd felt pressure before. When Michael Eisner come to visit us, he, he didn't come for the magic. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I used to call him the tragic visits. <laughs> but uh, we survived it like everything you do, and uh, it was one of the hardest jobs I've ever had in my life. Everybody should work in a foreign country. It'll straighten you out. I bet. I bet. Um, what Has it turned around now? Is it doing better? Well, I think it has years when it does better, but you know, the economy is so bad in Europe right now that it's losing money again. So it'll make some money and then the economy will go down and, the, you know, it's just the European economy is disaster. Right. And uh, so that affects them. That's a discretionary spend, you know. Going to Disney is not a necessity. It's a discretionary purchase. And so a lot of people put it off or hold off on it when the economy's bad and unemployment's high. So just like in the U.S., you the economy does affect your business on discretionary spending. Right. And, and Lee, I know you've written three books, and, and you said before we went live that you're working on a, on a fourth. And the, the one I read, I believe, was your first book, Creating Magic, 10 Common Sense Leadership Strategies from a Life, from a life at Disney, uh, published in 2008. I read it, I think, in the following year. And one of the things you point out is Walt Disney World is roughly the size of San Francisco, got 59,000 cast members. I'm sure it's more today. One of the things I learned, and and I did attend Disney Institute, by the way, back in 97 when it was still public down there and they put you up at the hotel and everything. I learned that Mickey was a teamster, that that the characters are unionized. Is that right? There's 13 or 14 unions at Disney. I don't think people think that's true because they never see any attitude. The cast members all take care of you, and uh, we have every union. We have Teamsters. We have service workers. We have laundry unions. We, you name it, we got it. And right. the reason that is is because Disney you know, was came out of Hollywood, and all the movie business is unionized, so they didn't really have a choice but to let the unions come in when they opened the parks. Right, and I guess that's the same at Disneyland, isn't it, then? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's never been a problem, though, you know. We have a few discussions occasionally where it takes a while to get the contract done, but uh, it always gets done, and uh, I think if you go to Disney, you will, the chances you're running into a rude cast member or somebody not taking care of you is almost zero. They do a great job. Right. You point out also that, that Disney World has a 70% return rate, and I think this would shock people, the lowest turnover in the hospitality industry. Well, I think that's for a couple of reasons. Um, it's kind of the model for how to be successful in business. First, we are very careful who we hire, so we go take a lot of effort, and we have a lot of models and a lot of ways to interview people and how to listen for what talent we're looking for and attitude. So we hire good, so already we're going to cut the turnover right there. And then training. We train, test, and enforce the training so people are so well-trained that they're comfortable in their jobs and they do a great job. And then last, I will tell you, we create a culture where those people wake up in the morning excited to come to work because of the way they're treated. The leadership at Disney treats their people extremely well, and, and there's a lot of opportunity to get promoted there. We promote three, 400 people a year in the management out of the hourly ranks, so... And we have a lot of college kids working there. And uh, so what happens is if you, if people stay a year, they kind of stay in Florida and they stay at Disney because it's a good health care plan and they have opportunity and they can move up. And uh, there's no state income tax and we've got 300 days of sunshine. It's hard to get them to leave. 
Right, right. <laughs> and, you know, I know everybody goes through the, the Disney University. Is, is, is it still called the Traditions course? Oh, yeah. Traditions, and it's an eight-hour day. And uh, by the time you come out of there, we have injected pixie dust right into your blood veins. <laughs> and, uh, you will go out and kill for Disney. You'll take care of the customer like nobody. It's unbelievable. It just shows you the right. Uh, the onboarding is so important for companies to get started right. Tell your people what you expect. Teach them the, how the company started and what we stand for. And talk about pride and and our our need to have them really perform well. And they do. So that traditions is worth an eight hour investment to get people started off right. Right. And and Walt did that way back even when he opened Disneyland, didn't he? He he built the Disney University or had the vision for it. Yes, he did, and uh, that was pretty smart. And I will tell you, when I worked at Marriott, they have an incredible onboarding also. And I, when I look at companies, the ones that have strong onboarding, their employees know what they're doing. You get a better attitude. People can execute their jobs. And people who just kind of hire people and throw them into the job, we run into those kind of people every day when we go out to eat or go to a, a, a store. Or So it's, you know, I would tell every company, invest. Invest in the onboarding. It's a big deal. Right. I know Ritz Carlton has a great program yes. as well. Of course, that's Marriott, but they are. <laughs> or, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, this is just, this is great. Uh, Lee, we have to take our first break. And uh, folks, we'd like to remind you to check out the uh, website at thesoulofenterprise.com. We will post complete show notes with our interview with Lee, along with links to his books and his website, which uh, I, I was poking around. Uh, earlier today, Lee, and, and watching some of the videos you have up there and listening to, to your podcast. Just some great stuff, folks. It's very, very inspiring. Lee talks a lot about leadership, and I know Ed's going to have a lot of great questions for him. But in the meantime, we need to hear from our sponsor at Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have, but have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. 
You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, we're back with Lee Cockrell, former Disney executive, and I want to welcome you again to The Soul of Enterprise. Lee, really appreciate you doing this. I had the good fortune of seeing a, I don't know if it would, would be former cast member or co-cast member of yours, Mike McLean, speak at yeah, the well, AICPA conference last week, week. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great uh, session. And I, I just have some questions that, that uh, were spurred by, by seeing his great presentation. And I want to tie back into one of the things that you picked up on or mentioned to Ron earlier. And that is when you said uh, that uh, Mrs. Marriott told you about, you know, you're using the wrong beans in the, in the chili and, and having billionaires involved in the details. So one of the things that I really took away from it was that, you know, Disney business results are, are driven by overmanaging certain things that most companies undermanage or ignore. Um, I looked up the word overmanage in the dictionary and you can't find it. So it's, it's, it's clearly a word that was created uh, by Disney for Disney. And the story that Mike told was about the name tags. But I w- was wondering if you could share an, uh, your best example of something that you felt was overmanaged, the details that really made B- Disney successful. Well, you know, I think uh, <clears throat> I wrote that book on time management. And the word management, you know, is defined as the act of controlling. And that's what management is. When you're a manager, you're supposed to keep things under control. And Disney goes out of its way to keep certain things under control to an extreme, uh, which is uh, friendliness and cleanliness for two. I mean, let me tell you what. It, if you're not friendly and you don't keep the place clean, you will be working somewhere else. It's uh, emphasized, the training, everybody, every executive is a good example. We all behave ourselves. We're all friendly. Uh, we put on the right face. We pick up trash ourselves. I don't care if you're the executive vice president or somebody that cleans bathrooms. We all do it. Setting, being good role models. And, uh, and I think the other thing that we do to the extreme is clarity of communication. We're so clear with our people before we hire them and after they're hired that there's no uh, uh, misunderstandings about what the expectation is for performance. I always tell people it's the happiest place on earth or else. So... <laughs> That's uh, how we think about it is go to the extreme and the things that matter and the things that really matter are the guests. Safety. Safety is one we go to the extremes on. I mean, safety is the number one guideline at Disney and being safe and then courtesy and then uh, show how the place looks and last efficiency and think about them in that order. So, um, yeah, it's just like even we told the chefs, you know, when we're serving a thousand dinners, look at each plate. It's one dinner a thousand times. Don't think about volume. Think about the person who's going to get that plate in front of them in a few minutes and look at it and see if it's perfect. So it's an, I think, you know, excellence and, and this kind of world-class level is really a state of mind. If you get everybody on the same wavelength, everybody produces and everybody does better than they ever thought they could do. And when you're clear with people, they produce at a level higher than they ever thought they could. So that's how we think about it. Well, I want to invite you into a, a conversation that Ron and I often have, and that is a, a debate between the importance of efficiency versus effectiveness. And uh, I was also struck by the presentation that uh, Mr. McLean gave, gave, and he did talk about the, the quality standards and h- how they're organized and how you have to have irreconcilable tie breaks so that it is absolutely clear that safety comes first, then courtesy, then show, then efficiency. And it, it struck me that efficiency is last. Well, Ron and I have this big belie- belief that um, effectiveness is always and everywhere more important than efficiency because if you're efficient at the 
the wrong thing, you're actually making something worse, right? Absolutely. So, absolutely. so, <laughs> so I'm curious as to your thoughts on efficiency versus effectiveness and, and the, 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 uh, our, our, our debate on that topic. Do you have any thoughts on those? It's funny, I went to come out down here in Carmel, and I, my car was so disgustingly dirty, I went to look for a car wash, which is hard to find because they don't like to use water down here. And uh, I finally found one, and I looked it up online, and somebody said, do not go to this car wash. All they're thinking about is volume. Your car will not be that clean when they finish. So therefore, their repeat business has got to be pretty low, and I think that's how you have to think about it. And, um, uh, uh, quality uh, in a restaurant at Disney is paramount because we want you to come back over and over and over again. And in fact, that's the name of the game for Disney. The main reason people come back every three years for their whole life, 10 or 12 times, is because of the quality. I mean, that's it. That's what drives them back. Repeat business has got to be the most valuable business you have because you don't have to spend money marketing it. You don't have to spend money on ads on TV. So I would say that, quote, quality always wins out. I think that's right. Well, and it's funny because Ron, my, my co-host, has a great line that he often uses during presentations. He, he talks about if efficiency experts had come in, they would have advised Walt to make uh, Snow White and the Four Dwarves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good one. I'll have to remember that. I'm going to work that into my speeches now. <laughs> <laughs> so... Anyway, the other thing that I really picked up on, and I had heard this before, but it, it just it just really struck me when when sitting in a presentation by somebody as in, inspiring as as Mike was, the whole mantra about that it, it 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 might not be our fault, but it is our problem. And the story that he told there was you know about parking in the parking lot and everybody excited to be there. And and, and Ron's even said that you know these people sometimes leave their cars running in the parking lot because they're so excited to get to the park. And you might tell them, you know, three times on the way in the tram, hey, you're in Aladdin 41, you're in Aladdin 41, you're in Aladdin 41. And then people could surely come out outside of the park and they can't remember where their, their car is. But, and there, but there's a whole backup system in place to handle that, isn't there? Well, there is. And it's funny you talk about parking. My son, when he got out of Boston University in 91, he started in parking. That was his first job. France, parking cars, and he trained in Disney World parking. And I, he said the manager told him, Daniel, everything we do in parking, we do it for a reason. Do not change anything without checking with us. If we put a cone in that place, that's where it belongs, nowhere else. And we have a system for finding people's cars because every night they come and tell us somebody stole their car. And, of course, every car in Florida is white, and it's uh, <laughs> And uh, it's a rental, and they're sure it was stolen, and we ask them what time they came in. And if we know you came in at ten around 10 o'clock, we can find your car. So uh, systems, processes, operations management systems, policies, procedures, you know, all this stuff pays off. Because I, I tell people in my speeches, you know, people say, Lee, is the guest always right? I say, no, but they're always the guest. And they have a credit card in their pocket. So that's how you have to think about it. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. The next thing I want to quickly bring up before our next break is is he talked about the, the you know the top three questions at Disney. The first one, of course, is where's the bathroom. The second one being where's Mickey, and then the third one, which I thought was really intriguing, which is which is what time is the three o'clock parade. <laughs> <laughs> And wh- where he, he he then then went on to tell that you know w- what we figured out is that they're not asking 
the ridiculous question, what time is the three o'clock parade? What they're asking is, is am I in a good spot? Is this a good spot to see the parade? Because the three o'clock parade lasts from three o'clock to three forty-five. Um, yeah. You know, I want to know if it's, it, it, you know, so is it? It's really, is it a good spot? And and then he asked. He he mentioned what I thought was an extremely profound idea. He said every business has a what's your three o'clock parade question, and. We it's it's our task as leaders in an organization to figure out what that thing is, and I you know I thought about this a lot. And for professionals, Ron and I believe that that the question is uh, when when how how quickly can I have it, or how 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 soon can I have that? And people in professions think that they're asking like how many billable hours is it going to take, and they're not. They're just really asking when I, I need it soon. <laughs> yeah, a date, due date. Yep. Yeah, I yep. think that's that's a good one because they really that three o'clock parade is what time will it come by where I'm standing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean anticipation is one of the big things in life. If you can anticipate kinds of questions, or you, you can ask all your employees what kind of questions are customers asking you, and then you can develop the answer, and then you work that into your training, so everybody knows they're going to get that question, and they're going to get these four questions, and this is the way we answer them as a company. Right. The, the other thing you talked get, about was... We don't get sarcastic. <laughs> when they ask what time is the 3 o'clock parade, right. Yeah. Right. Um, but but the, the, he talked about the, the, the changes that were made to the garbage cans out in, in Disney. He was talking about Disneyland. Now, um, and I'm, is it true I've heard this, that the, that the, the, the garbage cans in Disney World, that they are self-emptying in a sense, that they always just empty into the, into the, the basement or the sub-basement? Is that true, or do they, you still have to clean those out? They still have to clean them out, but they take them to locations around the park where they're pulled into a vacuum system. So they are transported the trash uh, away through a vacuum system, but they still have to, if it's a trash can, they have to go and still pull it out. All right, but you never see the trash, right? You never see anybody. No, you don't. And uh, (laughs) those cans are placed uh, the right number of feet apart. And, you know, the guests, they know all about our cleanliness, and they help us. Yes, actually pick up trash, which is shocking. And, uh, yeah, the guests really own Disney. It's kind of like a national park. They want to help us be great because they love it, and it's a tradition, and their grandparents came, and their parents, and them, and everybody wants it to stay good because, you know, Mickey uh, Mickey loves everybody. And the last question I want to ask you before our break is that I just found it really curious that you that it is felt that these process things, because so far too many businesses, I think, they they do over process, but they do it at the expense of of the emotional connection. And yeah. what I just find fascinating about Disney is that they that how that your organization has been able to weave those two things together, right? The the idea of great process, but with an emotional connection. And could you speak about that for a little bit? Well, I think if all companies uh, would keep the customers central to their decision making. And if it's a hospital, keep the patient central. And if you're a school teacher, keep the student central to your thinking. So every time you're making policies, procedures, operating guidelines, that you're not putting hassles in there. You've got to balance that so that uh, the customer gets the right level of emotional service and at the same time as uh, the controls for your business. And I think uh, that's the key in life is think from the customer's point of view, not from the finance or not totally from the control standpoint. Hospitals have that problem today, and we're trying to work with nurses to really think about that's their mother laying in the bed or their daughter laying in the bed. 
So let's think about policies, procedures, operating guidelines, and rules in a way that uh, the guest leaves and they really don't feel that hassle piece that we get so many places we go. Yeah, it sounds like it's really just a misconnection or a, a misconnection of cause and effect, right? It's not, it's the emotional connection that can cause the process to be good, not the other way around. Yeah, and a lot of those are put in by lawyers and HR departments and uh, the government, and uh, we, we're always battling these people that want total 100% make sure nothing goes wrong. Because when you do that, it, uh, yeah, you really create some issues with being able to execute service at a level the customer wants. Well, this this half hour has already fl- flown by, Ron. This is the fastest hour of my week. I don't know about you, but <laughs> so <laughs> definitely, yeah. We, so we're at the bottom of the hour, ready to take our next break. But before we go, we do want to remind you that you can get a hold of us at tsoe at verisage.com if you want to send us an email of course hashtag ask tsoe if you've got a question and if you're on twitter now and would like us to ask lee cockerell a question we would like for you to do that and we'll follow you on twitter for that but right now we want to hear from our sponsor azamba making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. What if you could close more business with less effort and do it faster? What could your people accomplish if they had their own personal assistant keeping track of meetings and reminding them of follow-ups? What would it mean to have a perfect view of what your team and your prospects and your customers are doing? What if you could run your business from anywhere? You can have it all. Visit www.azamba.com forward slash soul today to find out how. That's azamba, A-Z-A-M-B-A dot com forward slash soul. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to the soul of enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Lee Cockerell, the former executive vice president of operations at Walt Disney World. And we'd like to remind you that if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can reach us at TSOE at Verisage.com. And folks, we know a lot of you listen on demand and um if you could keep those iTunes ratings coming in, that really helps us a lot. And Lee, I want to talk to you about your book, Creating Magic, that I read a few years ago, and I just absolutely loved it. One of the things that you really focus on, obviously, is leadership, and you say the soft stuff is actually the hard stuff. And one thing that really struck out 
uh, on me, it was your strategy number one, which is remember everyone is important. And you say the cast members at Disney World were given the freedom to set their own productivity targets. And everybody thought, oh, they're going to define, you know, they're going to set the bar really low. And, and But you said counterintuitively that no, as indeed, they set them very high. And management was quite surprised. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because that's fascinating. Yeah, and that was in a place, the laundry, which is the busiest laundry in the world. And uh, you can imagine how much laundry we have with 20,000 hotel rooms and all those restaurants. And uh, and the cast that works there, they're from every country in the world, and most of them don't speak English. Uh, I mean, it was unbelievable. And the management over there decided, let's take a look at this and let them set their own productivity. They set them higher than we did. <laughs> it was unbelievable. And I think the lesson there is, People, if you hire great people, great good people have a lot of pride. They want to right. do. And by the way, all your people know things you don't know. And if you'll unleash that and let them loose, they'll deliver for you. When you try to control them and hold them down and not not ask their opinion and not include them and not listen to them and not appreciate them, they don't give you but 50%. And the culture is important. It's important at home, and it's important in the workplace, and we learned that lesson well. Trust people, hire great people, train them, and then let them use their judgment. You know, Somebody asked me once, how do you teach people common sense? I said, you don't. Hire people that have common sense, but make sure you're not, make sure you're not keeping them from using their common sense because you have so many rules and policies in place that they're not allowed to use it. So uh, there's a good lesson there that uh, these people run their own homes. They have budgets. They know what budgets are about. They've got to make their money stretch further than you and I do. So uh, they know how to do it, and we let them do it, and we got great results out of it. People like to have responsibility and authority, and then they uh, get more excited about coming in in the morning. That's so true. If you if you have high expectations of people, students, employees, whoever, they're they're going to probably rise to the level. Well, and you know what that feels like? I always ask parents, do you have high expectations for your children? <laughs> they say, well, of course. I said, of course you do, and you're very clear with them. All you worry about with your kids are safety and their education, and you worry about it your whole life. And if you have that same passion for high expectations from your employees, they'll step up too. Right. Uh, the other thing that you talk about is obviously trust, and you just mentioned it. But, Lee, I see so many organizations that literally don't seem to trust their people, and that's why they micromanage and, and have you know this attachment to command and control. Why do you think that is? I think it's their mother's fault. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know what, why people don't trust? Insecure people don't trust anybody. People with low self-esteem don't believe in themselves, uh, egotistical maniacs. Um, they're out there in big jobs because they got a great degree from Harvard or Princeton or Yale or Georgetown, and they think they're hot shots, and they think they know everything, and they don't listen to other people. And um, that's one thing I learned in my own life. I worked my way up from the bottom, so I, under I saw that all the way up. Leaders who misbehaved, didn't do it right, wouldn't listen, wouldn't, weren't available. And I think it's an insecure person. It's like an angry person. Anybody that yells and screams at you or loses their cool with you, that's an insecure person. I can spot them a mile away now. Right. And organizations are full of them, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They would be serial killers if they weren't working in a company. <laughs> 
You know, the other thing, one of the other things that you mentioned in the book, and Ed and I kind of specialize in the area of pricing, we're on the faculty of the Professional Pricing Society, which is where I met one of Walt Disney World's pricers. But you talked about in your book, Creating Magic, that there wasn't consistency across the food and beverage pricing in Walt Disney World. You could go to one park and get, you know, a kid's lunch for one price, and it would be a completely different price somewhere else. I, I imagine that's been cleaned up pretty good now that they have pricers <laughs> on board. <laughs> it's totally cleaned up. In fact, you guys should interview Joni Newkirk one day. She was responsible for all that. She priced the golf course rounds, Coca-Cola, a Disney ticket, hotel room, internet charge, you name it. She is, like, incredible. She's got mm-hmm. her own business out there now, and I learned so much from her about uh, pricing is not only a science, it's also an art you got to just right. tweak it just right. Even when I started my business, my wife said, Lee, don't underprice yourself. Because, you know, Joni told me that most companies she deals with, she goes in and they're, they're underpricing their products. Yep. So, That's, yeah, you get, it's, a, it's a really a science, and you need a really smart people to take a hard look at that and make sure you understand uh, customer satisfaction and what the market will bear and what the competitor's doing and all of the things that go into pricing. And, and Lee, what do you think about the Disney's new surge pricing scheme that they're proposing for Walt Disney World? They charge for I different days. I just saw days. that the other day. Somebody sent me a nasty note about it, actually. I said, <laughs> I don't work for Disney. Don't get after me. I didn't do anything. But uh, I don't know. You know, what Disney, Disney will try lots of things. If it works, they'll stay with it. If it doesn't work, they'll back off. Many times we've tried things and, you know, forget it. The guests don't like it. Uh, the guest will tell you what's going to work. Let me tell you. Right, market right. will tell you what's going to work and what they'll accept and what they won't accept. And that's what I always say. Leave it to the market. Your customers, will, you'll see it. You'll hear. They'll tell you. And the other thing that you talk about in the book is, and, and I saw this at Disney Institute. Uh, they took us some places behind the scenes. And you talk about the Magical Moments program and the Take 5 program. Could you yeah. explain those? Yeah, back at the turn of the century, or not the turn of the century, from 1999 <laughs> to 2000, uh, we decided, what are we going to do for this big celebration in 2000? And we wanted to put some special things in place, so we developed what we call Take Fives, which is we tr- retrained every employee, every cast member at Disney, and told them to take anywhere from five seconds to five minutes, any as many times a day as they could, to go out of their way to make the guest visit really exceptional. Walk them down the street, uh, show them, take them where they're going, uh, just do something special, really pay attention to their children, make them feel special, get them a new ice cream, do something. You know, take five was, you know, and when you're shooting a film, it's take five, which is a break. And we're trying to get the employees to take a break and really blow somebody's day away and just make them incredibly happy. And so everybody started doing that. And then the magical moments were these were planned. So uh, every every department at Disney had to plan magical moments, uh, which was in the morning, for instance, we picked a family to open the park. So they were excited. We got pulled them out of the line. They cut the ribbon. They went up and got on the train. Uh, other Even Custodio created a bowling game in the street for kids to play, a magical moment. And they used uh, plastic bottles, and they made uh, bowling balls out of rubber bands. <laughs> so just fun stuff. Every place you went, something unexpected, a little magical moment where your kids are pulled out of the line and put in the parade, and that makes parents go absolutely bonkers. Uh, you know, they take what, 4,000 photographs in 10 minutes, and um, yeah, <laughs> just paying attention to children more, paying attention to older people, 
really getting everybody to refocus on these little special things that 70,000 cast members now, if everybody did one or two a day, the guests would walk out of there at the end of the week going, wow, just right. a little, not just normal Disney service and then notch it up a, a notch or two. And, and that just creates customers for life and generations. Yeah, I mean, anything. I go to a grocery store in my hometown. When you ask for something, they don't tell you which aisle's in. They walk you over there. That's a magical moment for me. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead, Ed. You know, and uh, one of the other insights, just to pick up on this this theme a little bit, uh, that was that significant service differentiation only occurs when an individual organization ruptures a widely held industry stereotype. And one of the things that uh, that Mike McLean talked about was the the portals, the virtual portals that they've now uh, uh, built into the 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 Disney cruise ships, where uh, the in, in the interior rooms have a, a, a portal that not only is an actual shot of what's going on outside, but then, of course, superimposes Disney characters over it as, as, uh, as the, the, the voyage continues. And now, uh, is it true that people are actually now requesting interior rooms? Well, I, I'm not totally up to speed on that. I haven't been on the ship since they did that. I took several cruises with my grandkids and all, but it would not surprise me because, you know, it's it's a technology, and it's, it, it, it may offer more than just looking out the window, frankly. <laughs> you know, looking out the window after a couple of days, okay, done that, but if something keeps happening in your room and a character's appearing, I mean, can you imagine? Kids would probably not be able to go to sleep for two days. And they solve that problem, too, because you can turn it off. <laughs> Well, and I think interior designers are very good at taking interior spaces and putting artificial windows in them, artificial light. So if you've got really creative people like Disney, I don't, you know, all the, Disney's got so many creative people, that's all they do is sitting around and think about how to make it really creative. Or they couldn't create these movies or these uh, rides. Uh, Imagineering people are incredible. So when you've got that kind of talent, they, there's a better way to, you know, I tell people, it's never too late to get better, and you can get better every day if you involve everybody and listen to everybody and get all that talent looking for a solution to an issue. An interior room is an issue. And so, obviously, somebody said, let's fix that. And when you say let's fix it and get everybody involved, it gets fixed. Yeah, one of, we have a colleague, and one of the questions that he he asked, he was speaking before a, a group of, um, I believe it was funeral directors, was it not, Ron? Yes, it was. And and he he asked them this question, and I think they spent a good amount of time on the rest of the day thinking about it, is what what if Disney opened a funeral home? Well, that's uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because just, because because you guys have done such a great job, and and I think I, I want to say that that there are uh, two or three thousand weddings at Disney properties every year. I mean, the number is just staggering. It's huge. My niece was married there. It was an incredible event, and uh, they do such a perfect job. And then you can go in Cinderella's coach, and it's unbelievable. But uh, you ought to talk to Brad Rex too. You know, Brad used to run Epcot. And you know, he now he works for a private equity company, and guess what his business is? Branding and buying funeral homes across the nation. <laughs> why, do you, wow. why do you think they hired Brad Rex? He worked for Disney for 20 years, and he ran Epcot, and he ran finance, and he ran all kinds of things. And that's exactly what they're doing, is making it special, making a brand on it, uh, and a brand which is uh, familiar, which young people want. You know, the funeral business has changed quite a bit. Cremations are up dramatically. Actual funerals are down, and there's lots of new things you can do. And and um, Brad is all over it. 
Brad Rex, he's incredible. I said, what? What job have you got? He said, yeah, I'm, run, I'm in charge of funeral homes now. Went, All right, good deal. Wow, that that is fantastic. Well, we are up against our last and final break here, and I want to thank you, uh, Lee, for being on the on the show. And Ron will perhaps take us the, the rest of the way. But I want to let you know that those folks out there, please do keep your cards and letters coming, especially the our, the, our tweets on hashtag AskTSOE. And, and, of course, send us an email at TSOE at Verisage.com and the website TheSoulOfEnterprise.com. But now, lastly, a word from my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we're back with former Disney executive... Lee Cockrell, thanks for being on the show, Lee. I want to tell you that I watched one of your presentations that you gave, and um, I am a firm believer that you are absolutely right. I do have a six-year-old daughter, and it's all about the princesses. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's the hook. There ain't no turning back. Uh, I do want to say that even myself, though, and it took me a while to, to realize this, but when I first was going to I didn't realize you know downtown Disney equals mall and that it never struck me until maybe the fifth or sixth time that I went to a downtown Disney oh my gosh this is just a mall but it's not just a mall it's a Disney experience and one of the things that I, the last thing I wanted to ask you is Ron and I do a lot of work with smaller businesses and one of the things that we hear or and I'm sure we'll hear in relationship to this program is okay great that's Disney but I, I'm just a I'm just a sole proprietor, or I just have five or ten people. I can't create a, a Disney experience. I don't have have that 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 money. What what do you say to that th- those type of people? Listen, I talk about that a lot on my own podcast called Creating Disney Magic, and let me tell you, it ought to be easier when you're a small business owner. When you got five people, ten people, twelve people, you ought to be able to hire 
the best. You ought to know them so inside out. You ought to be able to work with them, train them. I mean, people have got to quit using that excuse. It's harder at Disney than it is in a small business. You can find the right people. It takes more time. You can train them. You can clarify expectations. You shouldn't have any problem communicating with them because you don't have that many. Like some people have more kids than that, you know, and uh, so yeah, I don't. I think anybody can do it. And the key is hire great people. Make sure you train them. Be clear with them. Set high expectations and create a culture where they think they matter. And if they think they matter, and you're making sure they matter by telling them, they'll step up and do an incredible job for you. A lot of this problem is the owner's fault, not the people he hires. Lee, when I attended the Disney Institute, one of the questions they asked the group is, what's the number one driver in the hotels of a family returning to a particular hotel? They were talking about studying re- uh, retention rates and noticed that some of the properties on within Disney World had much higher um, retention rates than others. And so that was an exercise they gave us was, you know, what do you think the number one criteria is? And it was, oh, character breakfast and all of this. But... Oddly enough, it was the swimming pool. And I was just wondering, given your extensive experience in hospitality, is that still true? Is it still the swimming pool that's number one driver, or is it something else now? It is if you're coming from New York, New Jersey, or Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the winter, winter has just ended. It depends where you come from. It's not for Florida residents, because we all got a pool in our backyards. So, but it depends where your customer's coming from, what turns them on. And that's why Disney does so much research to find out, okay, what are they, UK, you're coming from the UK? The UK people will go to a water park or a swimming pool if it's 20 below zero. It's unbelievable. Mm. And they're actually blue. I mean, it's unbelievable. And uh, so you got to just know what your customers from different backgrounds, what your constituents are, and then provide those and be aware of those. And uh, so Northeast and Midwest, that's where... Shoot, I'm in. 80% of our business comes from Canada and uh, all these cold European countries. So, yeah, a little different, but probably right. Mm. And the other thing, one of the other uh, interesting statistics I thought from your book, Creating Magic, was that you say in any in a typical organization, about 20% of the people are active change agents, 30% resist change, and 50% are on the fence. Uh, has that has that been true in your experience too, outside of Disney and since Disney? That 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 makeup seems to hold true across organizations. Yeah, I'd say knowing those statistics makes you rethink how you communicate, how you train, how you select people, because you can move that up. Because uh, you don't know, you know, the people who are not committed are very quiet. Everybody in America puts on a good face. They act like they're working, <laughs> but right. uh, they act like they care. But we got to make sure they care when the manager's not around, and they do it because they want to do it. So I'd say yes, and I'd say when you select better and train better and hold people accountable and the management's out and about and they know what's going on, you can get better results. Don't be isolated from your people. I mean, everybody at Disney knew me, and I made sure because I got out and about every day. Every week I was out in those parks walking and talking and telling people what our expectations were. So you can you, know, you can decide to have a bunch of people who don't care in your company, or you can really work hard at making sure you're hiring people who do care. Now, those can- people with a can-do attitude, that's what you want, not a can't-do attitude. And can-do attitude people are out there. You just got to find them. So, yeah. You know, you do point out that too many organizations hire fast and fire slow, and it seems like <laughs> Disney's the exact opposite. Yeah, and, uh, you know, if you make a mistake, get them out. 
Uh, you can make a mistake, but uh, sometimes those are good people, but they just can't perform, and or they got an attitude, or there's an illness, or a, some other problem, a divorce, and their attitude goes bad, and their performance goes down, and that really hurts your brand. And it's we, those people get themselves fired. We don't fire them. It's not our fault that they don't perform. We'll work, try to work with them, we'll try to turn them around, but you can't always do that. And leadership job is to take action and make it happen. You know, when your kids don't perform, you ever have kids that have a performance problem, you you deal with it. You sit down, you talk to them, you get them a tutor, you do what you got to do. And then we go to work and we let people get away with murder. So, you know, <laughs> get focused on that. You know, you and also like talk, a mother. Yeah. You, you talked about structured interviews conducted by psychologists over the phone to create detailed profiles which yeah. uh, in order to hire people and and I think you you said this came about in about 1994 can you yeah. can you explain that process a little bit what what do you mean by profiles was it like a personality profile or just overall profile yeah, yeah the Gallup organization that's main most of their work and, and all, they do that uh, pretty much uh, for companies all over the country and um so we went. We learned about that, and we started working with them. And they develop. Prof- they have a management and leadership profile, which uh, we uh, started to uh, implement. And it has uh, really what they want to do is they want to know how leaders think, not how they come across in an interview or how their shoes are polished or what tie they have on. A lot of people fake it in an interview, and they ask pretty tough questions over the phone for an hour and a half, two hours for executives. And then they have psychologists really uh, analyze what your answers were. Are you a good team player? How do you make decisions? Uh, are you good at strategy? They, they they look at about 20 different issues. We started using that, and I will tell you, we hardly ever made a mistake after that, making sure we understood clearly. And then they taught us how to do the same kind of interviewing for assistant managers with a, like 20, 20 questions, and they taught us what to listen for in the interviews. And it's pretty amazing that if you get a more structure around hiring, that you do a better job. Mm. Yeah, that's fascinating because it seems to be uh, one area where a lot of organizations fall down. They think if they get it about right a third of the time, you know, it's kind of like baseball, right? That'll get you in the Hall of Fame, but it really doesn't. No, you can't make that kind of mistake. You got to have a good batting average when you hire. And the other thing that you talked about, and I found this fascinating too, just the, the two guys who went to the Olympics and got the idea for trading pins. Yeah, <laughs> Brian just created like this multi, what is it, millions of dollars a year. And, and I know that's a huge thing for a lot of people to, to trade in the Disney pins. That's enormous, isn't it? Well, they saw that at the Japanese Winter Olympics and saw this, all the Olympians trading pins. Somebody come back, you know, that's sometimes an idea is right in front of you, but you got to see it. They came back and we implemented that. This thing, we were doing like $3 million in pins back in those days. Today, I don't even, I don't even know what it is. It was $100 million when I left. So, wow. I mean, it's gigantic and it's fun and interactive and it gets the guests and the cast talking to each other and having fun and little girls collecting princess pins and boys collecting pirate pins and just created a whole new business and uh, just a little thing that somebody noticed. So, uh, yeah, pretty incredible. That's awesome. And the other thing I love, too, you, you know, and I hadn't thought about this, but the, the Disney World response to the 9-11 tragedy where you guys had to evacuate the parks and you gave people free hotel rooms that were stranded and food and you suspended phone charges for them around the world. And then you sent costume entertainers to occupy the frightened kids. I, I thought that was just wonderful. Talk about yeah, a human we touch. We were prepared for that. We practiced two or three times a year on a, some kind of crisis happening. 
So we executed extremely well that day. We have a company that puts us through simulations, so different times of the day and night, and we, we really knew what to do. Everybody went into action, and we pulled it off really well. And that was a proud day. It was a tragic day and one of the proudest days I had to see all the cast members step up and do their job. That's fantastic. Lee, where can folks find you and find out more about you and your work? Well, they can go to LeeCockerell.com, and uh, that's my website. It's got everything you want to know. You can buy things there. You can get free things there. You can watch my videos. You can learn about my seminars. You can buy my books. Do about anything you want. And on there is my phone number and my email address if you want to talk to me or send me an email. Excellent. I, my address is on there, too, if you want to send me a gift. <laughs> Fantastic. It's all book. on there, and all about the books and apps and all kinds of stuff. It's a fun site. Okay, excellent. We will post it on our show notes and with all the links and to all your books, and I know you're working on a new one, so best wishes with that, and maybe when after it's published, you'll come back on with us. We'd love to have you back. Lee, yeah. thank you so much for coming on The Soul of Enterprise. This has been great. Thanks. You all Thanks, take Lee. care. All right, and Ed, what do we have coming up next week? Ron, next week is one of our favorites of Free Rider Friday, so we oh. down down with the prep work and just kind of let it free ride. Fantastic. I will see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, check out thesoulofenterprise.com for show notes, and we'll post everything up there with Lee. And we look forward to uh, seeing you next week, and thanks for listening, folks. 